Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we welcome back an author whom we spoke to in 2019 about sheds, book lists and book towns. Alex Johnson has just released a new book called Rooms of Their Own, Where Great Writers Write. It's a beautifully illustrated book where the writing locations used by 50 famous authors are described. Alex and the illustrator, James Ozes, shows us attics, hotel rooms, huts, bedrooms and basements where great literature was created. From Jane Austen to P.G. Woodhouse and William Wordsworth, the book also looks at the writing methods, processes and routines used by these authors. Alex joins us today from St Albans in the UK. Welcome back, Alex. Hello, Richard. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, congratulations on the book. Um, how did you put it all together? Did you and your illustrator visit all of these places? Uh, well, in a way, it's been kind of bubbling gently along all my life. My parents are very bookish. My father's a librarian and my mother ran a mobile bookshop. And they used to take me to writers' homes when I was small, so places like Thomas Hardy's Cottage in Dorset. And then my wife and I visited others, like Kipling's House in Sussex. And as soon as we had children, we rather dragged them along too to these kinds of places. So they could tell you all about the delights of the Bronte Parsonage or George Bernard Shaw's writing shed or Beatrix Potter's home and garden. Uh, but over the last half a dozen years or so, I've also been noting down interesting bits and pieces about other writers around the world uh, and just basically pulled it all together for the book. Uh, we, d we didn't visit all of them. Um, and one of the main reasons for that is that we uh, started working on it together literally just before lockdown. Um, so I was a little bit nervous about how it was all going to work, especially as I've not worked this closely with an illustrator before. And we never actually met face to face during the whole process. But uh, actually, it was a it was a pleasure. I mean, we we threw things, ideas and roughs backwards and forwards online, and I'd make a few odds and ends about comments and uh, what what we might do slightly differently. But James is very experienced and talented, so it was uh, it all gelled very well, really. And what Excellent. what I hadn't realised at the start was how much the illustrations would add to the whole whole um, text. I think, I mean, there's so many good examples in there. But I immediately thought when I heard about the book, I wonder if he's put in Roald Dahl's messy hut. And you had, because <laughs> it's one of my favourite writing places, I think. Yes, I think that there, are, there are lots of huts in there, partly because I'm interested in sheds and writing huts. <laughs> so that's a rather selfish uh, approach, isn't it? But uh, but just so many people, uh, people like E.B. White and uh, Roald Dahl and Twain, people like that have written in huts. And Roald Dahl's is a perfect example as you say, it's quite it's quite messy. It's a real nest in there. Um, so it's uh, it's full of all aspects of his life, all the kind of bits and pieces and the flotsam and jetsam of his career. And actually, for me, happily, it's it's not far down the road. It's only about a forty minute drive. So it's no, it's great. I love it. Yeah, great Missenden, wasn't it? Like a little village on the edge of a Chilterns. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, it, it's tiny and it's a real kind of uh, dull, dull centre now. They've got an excellent museum there and the hut, they, they raised money for the hut a few years ago to move it and it's the centrepiece of the museum. So it's uh, it, it's lovely, well worth visiting, especially, especially with small children. 
And I, I love the notes that you supplied with that one, where although he was writing children's books and he would always have grandchildren around, he, he wouldn't let them in, right? He, he'd be writing, he said, no children allowed in the, in the hut. Uh, absolutely. He basically didn't let anybody in, even people like Quentin Blake who were illustrating the books. They, were, they felt really honoured if he ever invited them in. It was very much his domain um, and he regarded anything else as... Uh, completely impossible he didn't want to work in the house because he said it was too noisy too full of children and he he, he told i think he told children things like you know there were there were bad animals and then goats would bite them and things like this so uh, just to make sure they didn't ever peep in <laughs> um uh the intro you, you talk about uh that not many books are written in libraries but you do have one example in the book about um Ray Bradbury typing away in the Powell Library at the University mm. of California yeah. in LA. Um, I mean, for Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Um, I wonder why aren't more books written in libraries? It, it's a good question. I mean, obviously a, a lot of research there and, and, and little bits are, are written. So you get you know, Herman Melville writing in the New York Society Library and people like Virginia Woolf, George Eliot working in the reading room at the British Museum. But I suspect libraries are maybe maybe they're too communal for something as personal as as writing. Maybe too many distractions, especially if you're famous. And I think this is one of the things that comes out in the book is that uh, it's probably library is probably personal enough. People like these private retreats, something that's a kind of writing oasis away from other people. Yeah, well, well, a good library now is much more than books, isn't it? Right? There's all sorts of things going on in there. With kids reading playtime and things like that and people accessing the computer mm. yeah absolutely absolutely yes yeah yeah the example i thought of was um captain corelli's mandolin so i heard that that got written in earlsfield public library in south london i think that ah, I, I, I didn't know that although he also has a writing hut as well uh, oh really yes yeah, so yeah louis de bernier's yeah louis de bernier that's it um all right, yes, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. But uh, I think there are very few I know because as well as um, all the writers and, the, and their places, there are various little boxes about things like um, writers who wrote lying down and chairs and things like this. And I was going to write one about libraries, but I didn't really think there was enough to uh, to justify it. Okay. Uh, back to huts. George <laughs> Bernard Shaw's hut had a revolving <laughs> yeah. base. So it could be turned round. Can you describe it for us? Uh, it's a, it's a bit like a kind of huge lazy Susan, one of those things you put in the middle of the table and you can put the salt and pepper on and move it round so that somebody on the other side of the table can get it without reaching across. Uh, it had a big lever uh, and he could just kind of winch it round. It, it's all still in place there. Uh, all the all the machinery, people, it's not ever it's not ever moved round now and. Members of the public aren't allowed to have a get cranking it up, uh, but it, but the whole hut is there. It looks great, um, and it's in a beautiful spot. Everything, all the trees, obviously have grown up a long, over uh, a long time since he died. But uh, it's still nestled away uh, at the bottom of his garden, so he could uh, again he could escape the hustle and bustle of people trying to pin him down. And the idea of revolving it was so what he had a different view, or would always catch some sun, or or what. <laughs> Yes, a, a, a bit of both, really. Um, I think, yes, he liked the sun. He was very keen on the uh, the health benefits of things like um, 
using the right kind of windows and the right kind of sun. Uh, and I think he just liked to have have a change, really. Uh, he he was quite experimental like that. Um, Hemingway. So I was interested to hear that he used a standing desk <laughs> when he was in Havana because uh, mm. of his back injuries, um, which I'm sure many of us can relate to. Um, so standing desks aren't really that new, it sounds. No, 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 no. He, it, 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 you're right. I mean, he had a couple of plane crashes uh, in uh, in the mid fifties, so that made it uh, hard for him. It was quite painful for him to sit down for a long time. But he'd actually uh, experimented with standing and writing for a while before that, so it was something he had he had some experience with. Um, so yes, he that, that's how he worked. He tended to write on top of a bookcase in his bedroom um with a with a typewriter about about chest height excellent that's exactly how i'm standing now <laughs> except my computer's on a pile of textbooks on top of the office bureau yeah much more bookish indeed indeed uh okay another example gertrude stein um wrote in a parked car with a nice view of the countryside can you describe that one for us <laughs> Yes, it's odd. She was, I'm not quite sure why, but she was very keen on cars. So her and Alice B. Toklas would drive around and um, Stein did the driving and uh, Toklas would uh, you know, go out and do the shopping or lip to whoever it was and she would write in the car. But actually um, Stein liked um, whizzing off into the countryside. And what they did was she found inspiration in um, cows. Um, and they, they'd kind of whiz around a bit until they found a, a, a nice uh, nice spot, nice location, and a decent cow. And then started to whip out her camping stool, and a bit of pencil and paper, uh, and scribble away. And then they'd, they'd, after, a bit, after about a quarter of an hour or 20 minutes or so, she felt she needed a, a different cow to keep her motivation up. And they'd, they'd whiz off again and find something else. It was, look for I think they were cows to contemplate. Yeah, it, it, it's odd, isn't it, I think? I mean, she didn't have long writing sessions. I don't think these lasted all day. It was a bit more like a drive into the country and then a little uh, a little stop, pit stop. But, uh, yes, yeah, certainly, certainly unusual. And it's interesting to hear how some authors are very disciplined and will write between a particular time frame, like it's a job, and try and aim for a certain word count. Mm. Others are more... It was almost like a stream of consciousness where they'll just keep going and going and going and keep going with the coffee. I think, um, what was it? W.H. Auden sounded, well, he sounded quite a handful when he was writing with all the coffee he was taking. Yes, I, I think coffee, I mean, there are, there are various things that become become apparent that a lot of the writers are writing in the morning. Uh, uh, a lot of them are drinking bucketfuls of coffee. Um, and... They, they they do tend to have a word count. Not just, I mean, some are you know, ludicrous, but I think it's just that they like that slightly metronomic approach to it that just keeps them keeps them on on a steady road, really. So, um, out of all the places that you featured, what do you think is the grandest writing place in your book? Grandest, um, I suspect. Um, it's probably Vita Sackville West's um, uh, Sissinghurst Castle in in, in Kent, uh, and she had uh, a very tall tower um, that when when she moved there in the 30s, 
uh, uh, that she restored. And there was a room in the tower. One of the rooms was a, a kind of an octagonal library that she um, that she made, and the other one was her writing room. Uh, so that's quite splendid, especially when you look at it from a distance. Um, and it was a, she had a good sturdy oak desk and lots of tapestry around the room and Persian rugs on the floor and little bits of objects associated with her lovers on on the on the desk and on the bookcases as well. So when you when you go you can visit it now, um, but you can't you can't actually go into it. You can kind of only peer over a little railing. But it is it is quite grand. That's quite that's quite splendid. That does sound grand. Uh, a writing tower is well, <laughs> pretty impressive. It is. And then her son, Nigel, had a, a gazebo built in the garden. Um, and that's that's really nice. It's right by their moat. So that's also quite splendid. Another other ones are quite humble. So Dylan Thomas wrote in a garage. Yes, it had been when when he moved there, it had been um, owned by the doctor in, in the village. And uh, I think it was, I think the doctor was supposed to be the first person had a car in the village and, and a garage. Uh, and that's beautiful as well. It's a lovely view out over um, river and to hills beyond that he wrote in. Again, it's one of these quite messy ones. Uh, and it's like several of these, it's actually owned by the National Trust here. And they've kept it very much uh, as it was then. So that's one of the, the really nice things is that you actually get to see all the um, it, photos and things that are cut out of newspapers that he, he stuck on and uh, his rubbish bin. It, it's a bit like he just stepped up for a couple of drinks in the, the hotel down the road. So that's a lovely visit if anybody's in the area. Wow. So where you've seen um, a writing uh, location preserved, did you spot anything like like we would have on our work desk? So like a stress ball or a stress, something designed to relieve the stress of putting all of these words together? Uh, I have not seen anything that we perhaps a kind of uh, 21st century writer might use. I mean, a lot of writers surround themselves with things that comfort them. I mean, that, that whole idea of literary memorabilia is, it seems to be increasingly popular. It's one of the topics I write about for fine books magazines. So recently, Hilary Mantle auctioning off her desk. And I think uh, Haruki Murakami calls these his talismans. And I think that's, in, in a way, they're like stress busters. So he's got various um, uh, bits of, well, kind of odds and ends from countries he's been to. And I think he finds that uh, relaxing, quite conducive to writing. He's got one container in the shape of a huge peanut. They're, they're all slightly odd. Um, but, um, but I think yes, I think they're the kind of things that just reassure reassure people that everything's okay. Do uh, did you see any examples where writers wrote accompanied by a cat or a dog? Uh, the, I, I know they the, you know pl plenty have done before. Um, uh, I, I think I think it's for me. I find that a very strange thing, really, because. I, I can't imagine doing anything like that, um, have, having anybody else. I, I don't mind having somebody in the area, but not in the same room. Having an animal there would, would make it uh, uh, far worse indeed. So I I presume that you write in the shed at the bottom of your garden. What, what's, your, <clears throat> what's your writing place? 
Uh, well, I, I'm actually between shows at the moment. We moved not long ago, and um, I, I don't have one. I, I did used to have one, uh, which is how I became interested in garden offices and writing, really. Uh, so I wrote I wrote this, um, the book, in the uh, study uh, in the house, opposite my wife largely, during lockdown, with a little bit in the basement and a little bit on the dining room table. Are you going to uh, construct a new shed? I think so. I think we just about got the garden when we when we inherited it. it was um, it was extraordinarily overgrown. There was actually a shed at the bottom we didn't even know existed uh, when we bought it. It was so overgrown, and we just about cleared it and got it flattish and everything. So we uh, almost certainly we'll be building something in the next year. I would think. Okay, so out of all of the places that you you write about in the book, what's your personal favourite? uh i i really like shaw's hut actually um I, I, there's something really special about it it's that the whole i like the whole area it's called shaw's corner he's got a he's got a nice house not too big nice garden not too big and it, it's something quite uh, enchanting about it it's it feels very much part of the grounds and while all the things inside it uh, when you peer in you're not allowed to go into it which is a shame and all the things inside it aren't his it just feels um, it feels very cozy. It feels very private. It's it's, uh, it's exact. I would get a replica built at the bottom of the garden if my wife would allow it. Indeed. And whereabouts in the world is it? Uh, it's just north of um, of us here in St Albans. Um, it's uh, Ayot St Lawrence, so it's near near a place called Wheaton. Said it's in the it's in the middle of nowhere, really. Um, right. But uh, it is, yes, it's just there, and there's a pub along, along the road there. But uh, no, lovely. Excellent. Yeah, I'm thinking back to the first point you made about um, family weekend trips, and that uh, literary families often go to see an author's play. So I'm thinking now, I have actually been to, I think, uh, Wordsworth's house. And oh, yes. Bronte's house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, there's they're, quite they're, a few, isn't there? There are. I mean, the, the whole idea of writers' museums is is really taking off now. And uh, places, yes, like Dove Cottage's Wordsworth and the Bronte Parsonage, they they're um, well, they're big business. Uh, and especially as, as the UK looks to the tourist trade um, for, for money. Um, but all, but I think, very well done usually as well. I mean, I think the Bronte Parsonage is a excellent example of, of people who are really dedicated and what they can do and make it interesting we went when our boys were quite little a few years ago um and i have to say i was a bit concerned they, they weren't going to enjoy it in any way but they loved it i mean they we weren't pulling them around or anything they were that they stopped and read and uh, really enjoyed it i think uh, it must really help when it's in a simply beautiful part of the world as well like um yorkshire yeah absolutely well I, i'm from yorkshire so i completely agree with you um but it's yes i think there's i, I think it's in the right setting that these things can be quite magical really and i think that comes back to the thing with, with the huts and the sheds they all tend to be sited somewhere that has lovely views um, i mean john steinbeck's as well had a lovely view in sarg harbour um eb white that they, they're um they're real, uh, they're real homes, little oases. 
except for wh auden i think someone you mentioned someone described it as a slum <laughs> his new york apartment that's right terrible it's uh, it sounds i mean it's it's interesting that the illustrations i think it's one it's one area that's a lovely illustration of it but it can't possibly convey what an appalling mess it must have been he, he was a terrible chain smoker extraordinarily messy just i mean by all accounts you know delightful to be with but just you, you wouldn't want to live with him at all i think it was just uh just too much was, like you say it was like, like it's just slovenly sorry wh jordan slovenly slovenly yes indeed um goodness yeah okay so our last question then um which we ask everybody what book or books are you currently reading? One of the I'm reading uh, something by uh, Carwin Graves called Welsh Food Stories, um, which is a kind of history of Welsh well, Welsh food and and cookery, which has just come out. It's a new book from um, Kalon Books, which are part of the University of Wales Press. Um, I'm quite interested in Wales anyway, and one of the next books I'm going to write is going to be about Welsh literature. So, uh, but I'm enjoying it anyway. I would read it anyway. And I'm just about to finish uh, the Department of Expectation, Expectations by Jenny Offill. I hope you pronounce her name. Um, I read a book, her book, Weather, last year or beginning of this year. I really enjoyed it. So, and I'm enjoying this as well. Much more, more of the same, really. So Welsh food stories sounds interesting. Mm. I mean, I'm a Davis, so. All right, well, there you go. You're, you're right in there. It's, it's excellent. He takes it chapter by chapter, saying there's one on bread, one on, one on what have you, and looks. There doesn't seem to be much about this written before. It's quite interesting, actually pulling together the history of it and also looking at people who are, well, you know, modern cheesemakers um, uh, as, well as, 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 as well as the history of it all. Um, so it's great. It's, it's a nice little book, not too big, and very accessible, very well written. Yeah, it should be interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, that's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you to author Alex Johnson for joining us. Thank you very much, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Alex is the author of Rooms of Their Own, Where Great Writers Write. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon.